The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky team, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. We're going to shift gears and talk about uh, the signs of spring and climate change and uh, citizen science and a whole bunch of other things with my guest this hour, who is the research director for Appalachian Mountain Club, Dr. Sarah Nelson. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. Um, You know, spring has been uh, kind of strange, at least in Michigan, where I am um, this year, with, uh, I don't know, April temperatures seeming like May or June and... um, you know, May temperatures seeming like March. <laughs> you know, it's 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 just been uh, really strange. But what's what's a good way to really tell if we're shifting into spring and it's time to I, plant flowers, for example? We've had a lot of freeze warnings this last week or two. Sure, and your observations are right on with the research that. Um, our team and our collaborators at UNH and in other locations have been working on uh, where we have identified a phenomenon that we're calling winter weather whiplash. So exactly what you're <laughs> describing, um, right? So it, it might have been warm in April, and then there was even that late snowstorm that I know hit Ohio and, and other places in your neck of the woods. Yeah. Um, so getting win- winter weather when we don't expect it, and also those warm-ups when we expect it to be cold, um, that can really uh, wreak havoc with, um, as you mentioned, potentially gardening. Uh, well, yeah, but here also, it's, it's mid-May, 
and local weather for the last two or three nights has issued freeze warnings and cautioned people to cover any plants that they might have already put out. Yeah, and it it does cause uh, those issues, especially with the early warm-up. So um, in the long term, you know, my group has looked at 100 years of climate data stretching from Maine and up into Canada over to your area and and even Minnesota. And when we look at the really long-term trends and patterns, winter has been ending about three, two to three weeks earlier uh, in our region. So we would think that, you know, you can go ahead and maybe plant your garden before Memorial Day, kind of the traditional uh, date that we expect frost to be done. But then we get these whiplash events um, that can just bring cold air back in and and wreak havoc. Um, It happened in 2012, especially in the Michigan area with fruit trees, like apple trees. Yeah, that was a really yeah. tough year. Yep, exactly. And and interestingly, um, you know, you talk about Memorial Day, which is kind of an unofficial start to what we call summer in Michigan. But um, it's I, as early as Mother's Day, which, of course, was uh, last Sunday, um Farmers markets in a, in our area have big flower sales, and here it is mid May, and and we're getting freeze warnings. Yeah, it's really um, un unpredictable in some ways. These types of events where the weather is again whiplashing back and forth, um, the and it sort of causes some people to wonder about climate change and specifically warming. So one of the key things there is remembering that climate is those big long-term patterns and we do see warming and we do see earlier end to winter and start of spring in the big picture. Uh, And the weather is, they always say climate is what you expect and the weather is what you get. Uh, (laughs) So the weather is really variable. Um, Part of that variability could be another um, uh, result of climate change um, because it's sort of disrupting our our systems and um, moving um, some of the big airflows around and just changing what we get from day to day. But the big long-term pattern is definitely warming um, across our region and shifting yeah, seasons. Let's talk about that for a minute, if, um, if, if it's okay, Sarah. The, the idea of climate change is something that it was a change in terminology because it started out people talking about global warming and then there was this impression because we had some very bitter cold winters and people were walking around saying you call this global warming <laughs> and and so there there was kind of a misnomer because people got the impression that meant that every year the temperatures would go up a degree or two or more. And and it's really more about something that happens at the poles, isn't it? Uh, well, there are some geographic patterns for sure. Um, and one of the really big things to remember is, again, even though you might see some cold temperatures in a particular winter, um, it is, again, that really big 
pattern that we see, and, and climate scientists think in terms of uh, decades or 30-year periods, and whether things are warming, cooling, getting wetter, drier, um, and that we definitely see. So we've had uh, many of the warmest years on record in the past 10 or 20 years, um, and so we are getting warmer overall, even though within a given winter it may may feel cold. Um, and that variability is uh, normal, but there's also amplified variability. Some folks call it global weirding, where the weather is just getting <laughs> stranger I, I, um, that and, fits, and more variable. That fits right into this uh, this last winter because it was kind of mild in Michigan, where we you know we can have some pretty brutal winter conditions, um, and then we saw what happened in Texas. Exactly. Yeah. So the the where these weather patterns are happening is shifting. And you're right, we had a pretty mild winter here uh, in the northeast as well. Um, and that really allowed... the south with got hammered with ice storms and, you know, snow and sleet and... Yeah, they absolutely did. So that definitely aligns with um, these thoughts about changing uh, timing and, and not getting what you expect for the weather um, as part of that variability that we're seeing all over the place, um, kind of amping up. Yep. So how does that impact um, the seasons and, and when they happen? How, how can we and actually tell if we're going to have any spring? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> um, well, we always have uh, astronomical spring. So when we celebrate the equinox, uh, usually around the 20th, 21st of March, that's the astronomical beginning of spring, marked by the length of day being equal to the length of night. Uh, and then in, in June, kind of late June, we've got the astronomical end of spring. Um, but in terms of what we get for climate conditions and what might be triggering plants and animals that are tuned to spring patterns, um, that seasonality is shifting a bit, as you mentioned. Um, so one of the things that AMC has been doing for about a decade is this community science project and research that looks at alpine flowers in the mountains um, here in New Hampshire um, and, and some other plants around mountains across the Northeast, um, where folks who are out hiking or camping or enjoying mountain and alpine areas can use their phone and an app called iNaturalist, which is global, um, take pictures of, of plants, and actually you can take pictures of anything in iNaturalist, um, animals, plants, um, and you post those in the app where scientists and other naturalists can identify them. Uh, and what we've been doing with my colleague Georgia Murray is using the flowering times uh, gathered from these photos of alpine plants to try to tell us if um, these plants are responding to temperature cues like warming. Um, some plants or animals may simply respond to the length of the day. Uh, so even if it's getting warmer earlier, they may be out of sync with when they historically might have flowered or put on fruit or known to 
come upstream in the case of fish. Um, and that causes some other kind of, we call them phenological mismatches, the mismatches in timing. So if you're a bird that relies on a certain berry and that berry is coming out earlier, but you, the bird, uh, have are cued to migrate based on the different cue, um, you may not be able to find adequate food when you move back to your summering grounds, for example. Well, yeah, we see that in, in Michigan quite a bit with uh, birds that fly south for the winter, and then they come back, and we have a couple of nice days, and then boom, a blizzard. Right. Yes. Unexpected uh, winter weather coming back. Exactly. Or winter whiplash, as you call it. <laughs> exactly. I, I have a new yeah. term, Sarah. Thank you. <laughs> and 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 I like. Was it uh, global weirdness? Was that global weirding? Yeah. Weirding. That's what it was. Yep. Yep. And and uh, it does seem to be globally weirding, weather-wise. Um, do we see that? more in the U.S. than in other regions around the globe. I, I had someone from Australia who moved to Michigan, and he said, boy, you people in the U.S., you have some weather. Oh, that's an interesting <laughs> question. Um, it, it was an interesting I, observation, Sarah, because he said, you know, we, you know, we get some hot spells, and, you know, we get some flooding and stuff, but he says, you have hurricanes and tornadoes and um, earthquakes and, you know, all these different geographical and climatological things that happen. And he said, you know, and it just made me wonder, is it because U.S. has so much land mass that we experience a lot more weather than, say, a, a country in the Middle East or in Asia somewhere? Yeah, that's an interesting observation, and um, well, I can't comment on, you know, everywhere in the world. Uh, I tend to focus on the Northeast and kind of Northern states. Yeah. Um, a good colleague of mine in Maine will always um, mention that we have more climate variability in the state of Maine, which is about three degrees of latitude, than in all of Western Europe, uh, which is about 20 degrees of latitude. Um, you know, in part, we have a lot of coastline, and you have the third coast as well, large water bodies yeah, that we do. affect what's going on, right, with lake effect snow. And, um, and so we do have a lot of variability across the U.S. Um, that um, certainly is greater than potentially many countries, but I will say that globally we are seeing climate change occurring. It may be different in different places. One well, other example, kind of in the uh, northern tier. Sarah, is, Sarah, I hate to interrupt, but I have a break coming up, and I really want to talk about this some more. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can continue? Absolutely. Okay, my sure. guest is Dr. Sarah Nelson from the Appalachian Mountain Club, and uh, we're going to talk some more about climate change, weather, and uh, uh, the signs of spring and climate change with uh, Dr. Sarah Nelson coming up after we let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming the show at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. Lots more straight ahead.
Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annanick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You are, you've always got great questions and you know the material and you, and you care about it and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. Today. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all always. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue now with my conversation with Dr. Sarah Nelson. She is the uh, research director for the Appalachian Mountain Club, and she joins me by phone. Sarah, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Um, Sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, of course. No worries. Um, You know, I mentioned you're the uh, research director for Appalachian Mountain Club, but you spent over 20 years at... uh, the University of Maine, and you've been working in, what, ecology and uh, environmental sciences. What got you interested in environmental sciences to begin with? That's a great question. Um, I've always been interested in the outdoors, grew up camping and hiking and fishing, Um, and after college, I ended up volunteering um, uh, for a local group that was looking at pollution on a local river uh, near where I grew up. Um, got interested through kayaking and, and just being outdoors, and, and I um, helped them with water quality monitoring, um, which sort of led me to, to learn more about environmental science as a career. Um, it wasn't um, sort of an option back then when I was in high school. It is now, luckily. Um, so folks can uh, can learn about environmental science in high school and take courses, um, but I really wasn't aware of it. So it was exciting to do that work and just really be inspired to pursue um, environmental science as a career, learning more about fresh waters where I started out, streams and lakes, and I still do a lot of research in that arena. And yeah. you mentioned getting citizens to help collect data. And, um, you know, that's kind of an interesting concept and a fairly new concept, this idea of citizen scientists, especially in an era when so many people are distrustful of uh, science. And um, how, does that, how does that work? Yeah, that's a great question. So I've been involved with a few citizen, or, or we're now calling them community science projects, Um, And I'll speak a little bit about the one I mentioned that AMC is working on. Um, So folks out, again, recreating, hiking, walking around, even in their backyard, uh, can contribute what they observe. So science is really all about, uh, in in terms of environmental and natural science, observing what's around us. Um, And observations are the basis, really, for all science. Seeing what's around, watching for patterns, um, and looking for, uh, you know, new things. It's really figuring out how the world works. That's, to me, what environmental science is all about. Uh, so our community science projects um, involve folks. They get out, they take photos of alpine plants in our northeastern alpine flower watch and other projects, um, and they really get to be part of the scientific process. This has been a huge uh, shift and really um, great effort over the past 10 or 20 years with uh, citizen science and community science. We scientists can't be everywhere. If I were going to try to hike <laughs> all of true. the mountains and look at all of the alpine plants, 
I couldn't even do it in a year. Um, so we've got thousands of people out observing these plants, and we use the data to look at when they're flowering, where they're located, um, and that can inform the science. How, how do you recruit people, and, and how can people get themselves recruited? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, at AMC, uh, on our website, outdoors.org, um, you can find information about community science, and some of our projects are highlighted there. Um, the other piece is iNaturalist is a, a, just an app that you can use anywhere. So when I um, go camping or walk around my neighborhood with the dogs, I'm always stopping and taking pictures of interesting flowers or, um, you know, I've even posted things like a fox from our wildlife camera in our yard. Um, and, and those data are useful too. So part of this is just biodiversity, understanding the types and um, diversity of life around us in the natural world. So um, those photos are super useful for scientists to understand what's around and where the patterns and where things might be changing or potentially moving in the case of animals. Now, um, I, I'm not sure if this is a, a campaign or just some talking points that someone from AMC sent over to me, but it's, it's spring into science, five ways you can help track the signs of spring and climate change. And one of the things you talk about, and this is a, a, a real thing with me, it, it comes up a lot in some of the conversations I have with elected officials and political figures, um, and that is listen to the science. And you suggest doing your own research, vetting things that you read before spreading falsehoods. And there are so many myths about climate change and about climate change science. Um, how can people go past the memes and bumper stickers and, and get good information? That is such a great question, and there's so much information out there to sort through. Um, and I'm glad you're raising and this. Not, not all of it's good. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm glad you're raising this. Um, when I did used to teach at the University of Maine, uh, we taught information literacy, which is a, an important skill. It really um, is. And, yeah, and, uh, you know, one of the key things is, uh, it, it takes time, but before you uh, click and send something on to another person, if you can just step back and do some of the key information literacy steps, like figure out who, um, who generated the information that you're reading. Was it a reputable source? Um, we used to tell students, and I still do, um, to look for um, corroborating information from from good sources like those with a .edu or a .gov extension online. Um, the libraries are a great resource if there's something you really want to dig in and research. Um, but finding other information that corroborates it is really key. So maybe doing another search and looking for more information on the thing you just read about uh, before you share it out. Um, that's a really key thing, How's, making sure that it's vetted. Just yep. out of curiosity, how does uh, how does National Geographic stack up? I had uh, one of their uh, 
ocean photographers on the show uh, a little earlier this morning talking about the uh, National Geographic Kids Almanac 2022. Um, how are their articles and, and features? Are they pretty good? Huh, that's a really specific one, and I, I haven't, you know, dug in really deeply on specifically National Geographic, but one of the other pieces about information literacy is to determine if whoever is producing the information has an agenda. So uh, National Geographic, um, you know, is a, a source that is trying to report on science and share information about the world. Um, it's not, um, in my understanding, a political organization or someone who's really trying to um, advocate for specific um, actions or trying to, uh, you know, make money. Um, although although they do thing. push conservation pretty hard. Sure, yep. Absolutely. So, um, you know, and and no source is um, going to be 100% perfect, probably. You know, there aren't very many absolutes in life, right? So, um, you know, just knowing the source and having those caveats in your mind, like, I'll read this and I um, think this makes sense um, and I'm happy to share this piece of information because I think um, you know, this is a good source, although I recognize that they may be uh, interested in conservation. Um, so being aware of those caveats and, and confronting them, I think, is the key piece. Should um, people get in the, in the habit of attributing the sources of information they're, they're sharing? I think that's a great practice. We do that as professional scientists. Every statement that we make when we publish research has to have a source attributed to it uh, that we attribute it to, and um, we place different amounts of confidence in even scientific findings depending on how many pieces of information point in that same direction. So in the case of climate change, um, multiple scientists working in places around the globe different ecosystems, atmospheric scientists, using models, using observations, the measurements that we take of weather, climate, and the environment, these all point to these signs of climate change occurring globally, locally, regionally. So when we have a, a preponderance of evidence pointing a certain way, we have very high confidence in that pattern or process that's going on. Um, if there's one source reporting something, that's another red flag if you can't find co corroborating evidence. So climate change is very well studied um, more every day and has high confidence and high um, level of, of scientific support that these patterns are going on. And, and you also um, indicate that um, people should try to reduce their, their carbon footprint. And I, I've talked to a number of people who um, spread the blame for uh, um, the hassle we have lowering emissions um, in, in greenhouse gases. There's the automobile industry, which is a big deal in Michigan. Um, but even even the the car companies are beginning to talk about uh, 
ways that they can move away from the um, from gasoline engines to alternative fuel sources, uh, different uh, chemicals and batteries and, and, and different ways of powering motors. Uh, but also, I, I hear a lot of people talking about diet and what we eat and, and how animal farming for food is having a huge impact. Do you have a sense of, you know, what what the the worst culprits are, or maybe the things that we can alter about our own behaviors that will have the biggest impact on our carbon footprint? Yeah, that is a great question. Something individuals um, can do, obviously. Right, and it's it's great to have something that we can do. We hear a lot of doom and gloom and it's easy to feel <laughs> sort of true. not empowered but this is this is really um, a great way that folks can help in their own life um, and also we get other benefits from reducing pollution when we think about um, co2 carbon dioxide emissions into the atmosphere that's what drives uh, our temperature system among other greenhouse gases so when uh, those emissions or, or the things that are um, coming out of, say, smokestacks, tailpipes, um, are increasing, that has an increased effect on our climate system. And when we reduce that, uh, it, it helps to what they call bend the curve, uh, can help to slow down what we're seeing with climate change over the longer term. That's what we want to do. So... Um, really important to, to cut pollutants. And when we cut our carbon emissions, we're cutting other things as well. I've studied air quality for a long time in terms of mercury and acid rain and those pollutants. Um, when we're clearing the air, we're, we're clearing lots of things, which is great. So um, in people's own lives, um, depends somewhat where you are geographically. Every state and region has its own kind of bigger contributors to carbon. Uh, in the Northeast, where I am, transportation is a big one. So um, cutting down on travel, maybe working toward more human-powered travel. Um, if folks can walk or bike to work or reduce the number of uh, airline trips they're, they're doing, that helps. Um, you mentioned food and diet. Uh, I'm not an expert on this, but uh, we know from kind of ecosystem energy uh, budgets that uh, vegetarian-based diets um, kind of use less energy overall, and, and there are these big carbon emissions that can occur um, from a more meat-based diet. So, you know, cutting back a little bit on the amount of meat that people are eating is projected to have an effect on, on carbon footprints. Um, and it's sort of the same... Uh, message I feel like we've had for a lot of these environmental issues that sort of where can we cut back a little bit, um, where can we reduce what we're using um, and maybe uh, clean up the air and clean up the environment a little bit while we're doing it. You also um, suggest uh, that people get their boots muddy, which as I, as I look at it, seems a little bit like a, a nicer way of saying stay off the grass. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, I mean, that's a big one. And this year, over the past year with, with COVID and folks really rediscovering or uh, getting re-energized about being outdoors, uh, a lot of people taking up hiking and camping. It's super exciting to see so many people just enjoying being outdoors. Um, and it's important for folks who are maybe just learning and getting in the outdoors uh, to recreate responsibly. So kind of learn the ropes about um, how outdoor recreation um, can be done so that we leave no trace or leave as minimal as an impact as possible. Uh, and one of those in the springtime um, is definitely staying on trails. So as you know, when the snow melts, yeah. <laughs> it gets muddy. Um, and it rains in the spring, and it's tempting to go off the trail and walk along the side where it's drier. Um, but there are uh, fragile vegetation, uh, plants along the edges of trails, um, and sort of widening the trails leads to more erosion, moving the soil around, um, which can move downstream and, and potentially cause issues for our lakes and streams as well. So, yeah, staying on the trail and, and just getting your boots muddy um, is an important one. And and then we've talked a, a little bit already about chasing the spring and activities like tracking. Um, uh, flowering times. Yeah. yeah, yeah, flowering times uh, through some programs like iNaturalist and AMC's Northeast Alpine Flower Watch, which you've talked about a little bit. Um, but that's kind of an interesting thing to do. It, you mentioned a lot of people have this pent-up, want to get outside, and then what? <laughs> There's stuff you can do out there. Absolutely, yep. Uh, in addition to looking at plants, uh, if folks can remember it, when we get to next December, there's another great community science program called Community Snow Observations, which is really relevant to where you are. Sure. Um, when people are out hiking or uh, in the backcountry or, or really anywhere, um, measuring the snow depth. We actually don't have the greatest data for snow. It's a tricky thing to measure, as you know. It's It's got different densities and from one spot to another, it can really vary a lot. So uh, that's a project that... Well, yeah, you, um, go, you go out on your porch and there's a big drift there <laughs> and you stick a yardstick in it and say, hey, it snowed three feet when we had maybe six inches. Yeah, exactly. Yep, and so those data actually get used in this community snow observations network to help improve... Um, snow models that tell tell us how much water is there in the snowpack that could be um, refilling drinking water reservoirs or uh, affect floods and rivers. So there are some really neat community science projects that folks can participate in, um, in addition to iNaturalist and Community Snow that AMC is working on. Um, and there are different places to find them. SciStarter is a website uh, and, and other ones as well. But, um, yeah, you can find details on those on our AMC website um, as well as just more broad searches. Now, AMC, of course, is uh, Appalachian Mountain Club, and it focuses on um, a lot of conditions in the Northeast. But are there other organizations like AMC uh, regionally around the country? 
Yeah, that's a great question. There are um, a group of alpine clubs around the country. Uh, I know there's the Adirondack Mountain Club and the Green Mountain Club, um, other groups, uh, even state parks and national parks have um, friends groups that may have programs like this. Um, so, uh, yeah, I would just encourage folks to, as we're thinking about recreating a lot of times in our backyard, uh, given some of the COVID restrictions, look around uh, in your local area. There may be a local land trust or um, a conserved land where they're doing some of these types of programs. It's a great opportunity to reach out locally. What are some things that, that people can do to, to get out and, and uh, interact with, with nature in their own yards, in, the, in their backyards, and in their own neighborhoods? Yep, that's a good question. Um, actually, here in our town, I, I have two very active dogs, so we're always looking for close-to-home places to walk them just to tire them out. Um, and there are opportunities to be a trail volunteer. I actually have a trail that I check on here in our town um, and make sure that and, and report to the folks where the trail is located if any of the signs need repair um, or if there are any tree blowdowns. So there are opportunities <laughs> to volunteer for trails. Who, who tires out first? Cleaner. You or the dog? That? Who tires out first? You or the dogs? Uh, definitely me. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, so there are opportunities, and AMC has lots of programs like volunteer naturalists um, and and trail stewards um, and other land trusts and conservation organizations do as well, where people can volunteer their time to help clean up um, and maintain trails and other lands. So that's a great opportunity, too. Now, I know you touched on this uh, as we were talking earlier, Sarah, but uh, I always want to give guests, we're, we're almost out of time, and I always want to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. And, and I suppose probably the best place to start would be AMC's website. Yeah, absolutely. It's an easy one to remember. It's outdoors.org, um, and there are... Um, web pages with some of the projects I talked about today and, and kind of more broadly if people want to learn about activities AMC is doing, trips that they might be able to join as COVID um, restrictions start to lift, um, and the locations where we work, that's a great place to go. And, and a good place to go for people who might want to uh, uh, mimic some of those programs in their own areas. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, Sarah, it's been a real pleasure uh, talking with you. I can't believe how fast the time has gone, um, but I really appreciate you sharing uh, some of your expertise with me and the listeners this morning. Yeah, thank you for the invitation, and it was great to talk with you today, Tom. All right, take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was uh, Dr. Sarah Nelson. She is the Research Director for Appalachian Mountain Club. Um, she spent... Uh, 21 years at the University of Maine, mostly, uh, most recently directing the Ecology and Environmental Sciences program and serving as associate research professor in the School of Forest Res uh, Resources. We're going to take a short break and we'll be back with the final segment of today's edition of the Tom Sumner program, but we're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a word in. 
or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Vi from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. 
MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. All oh, the Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. I'd like to take you now on wings of song, as it were, and try and help you forget, perhaps for a while, your drab, wretched lives. (laughs) Here's a song all about springtime in general, and in particular about one of the many delightful pastimes that the coming of spring affords us all. Here, a suffering is here. Life is skittles and life is beer. I think the loveliest time of the year is the spring. I do, don't you? Of course you do. But there's one thing that makes spring complete for me and makes every Sunday a treat for me. All the world seems in tune on a spring afternoon When we're poisoning pigeons in the park (laughs) Every Sunday you'll see my sweetheart and me As we poison the pigeons in the park When they see us coming, the birdies all try and hide But they still go for peanuts when coated with cyanide. The sun's shining bright, everything seems all right when we're poisoning pigeons in the park. We've gained notoriety and caused much anxiety in the Audubon Society with our games. They call it impiety and lack of propriety and quite a variety of unpleasant names. But it's not against any religion to want to dispose of a pigeon. So if Sunday you're free, why don't you come with me and we'll poison the pigeons in the park. And maybe we'll do in a squirrel or two while we're poisoning pigeons in the park. We'll murder them all amid laughter and merriment, except for the few we take home to experiment. My pulse will be quickening with each drop of strychnine we feed to a pigeon. It just takes a smidgen to poison a pigeon in the park. Hello, mother. 
Hello, Fada. Here I am at Camp Granada. Camp is very entertaining. And they say we'll have some fun if it stops raining. I went hiking with Joe Spivey. He developed poison ivy. You remember Leonard Skinner. He got ptomaine poisoning last night after dinner. All the counselors hate the waiters. And the lake has alligators. And the head coach wants no sissies. So he reads to us from something called Ulysses. Now I don't want this should scare you. But my bunkmate has malaria. You remember Jeffrey Hardy. They're about to organize a searching party. Take me home, oh Madafada, take me home. I hate Granada, don't leave me out in the forest where I might get eaten by a bear. Take me home, I promise I will not make noise or mess the house with other boys. Oh, please don't make me stay. I've been here one whole day. <laughs> Dearest father, darling mother, how's my precious little brother? Let me come home if you miss me. I would even let Aunt Bertha hug and kiss me. Wait a minute. It stopped hailing. Guys are swimming. Guys are sailing. Playing baseball. Gee, that's better. Mata Fada, kindly disregard this letter. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Netflix. 
Netflix, PBS, and the BBC. I've taken down all my mirrors, and I'm sick of what I see. Of quarantine will be the death of me. The death of me. I risk a trip to the grocery store to buy TV and a few things more. But when I get there, all I can find. Sixteen honey buns and some mad dog wine. I'm washing my hands like a raccoon with OCD. I've watched Hulu, Roku, Netflix, PBS, and the BBC. I've taken down all my mirrors 'cause I'm sick of what I see. So this quarantine's gonna be the death of me. The death of me. You know they say this is war, but we don't have to storm Omaha Beach or Pork Chop Hill. And we just lay here on the couch and watch TV. Whew, I'd rather volunteer for a high-risk commando raid to parachute into Wuhan and find that little fellow that ordered that bat soup. I know I'm talking out of my head, saying crazy stuff over and over, like "Yes, dear, yes, dear." At breakfast, I meant to say, "Honey, please pass me the pepper." Well, what slipped out was, "You crazy woman, you've ruined my life." <laughs> of course, I immediately apologized. <laughs> Soon as I regained consciousness. From the Tom Sumner Show. Oh yeah. That wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program with a packed schedule of guests, including this uh, past hour with Dr. Sarah Nelson, Research Director for Appalachian Mountain Club. And before that, talking about the National Geographic Kids Almanac 2022, underwater photographer and explorer Brian Scary. want to say thanks to Brian. It was great talking with him again. Stephanie Heath was back with uh, and brought along Amanda Rumor. They are two of the contributing uh, authors of a book called Legacy Speaks. And before that, the author of a new young adult uh, novel called Ten Truths and a Dare, uh, author Ashley Elston. Thanks to all the guests tomorrow. It's Armchair Politics, 2018 Green Party uh, candidate for governor. Jennifer Curland will join our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Adder, so be sure and tune in for that. In the meantime, good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. 
many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.